Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. MyCastingFile, the place for talent to get their start. Welcome to Talking Like Normal People, a show dedicated to talking about acting, casting, and auditions, and probably some other things too with people who love it. I am your host, Ryan Glorioso, casting director based in New Orleans, Louisiana. And yes, we are back with new episodes. It's 2019. <laughs> Glad to have our first guest of the of the new year be a wackadoo. Woohoo! All right. And uh, real quick, I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers. Please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podbean, and St- or Stitcher. Um, yeah, we your reviews help us. Your downloads help us. All of it. I don't know how it helps us, but maybe one day someone will, you know, want to put a commercial or something on here and uh, let us read it and and pay us. Who knows? But who cares? Anyway, it's fun to do. Anyway, all right. Postcard of the week comes from Heather Fusari. Hello, Heather. She's with Align Stars Agency. Um, And she says, hey, Ryan, hope you're doing great with a lot of exclamation points. Just wrapped on Wonderland, working with Peter Berg. That's a good one. Uh, And heading into production on my own film, Within Reach. Looking forward to auditioning with you and having fun. Enjoy the rest of 2018. Oh, I'm sorry. This is old. The rest of 2018 and happy holidays. Wishing you much success in 2019. Even more exclamation points. Thanks for the mention on your podcast. Oh, I have mentioned her before. Oh, man. Rewind the tape. My gosh. This is our first repeat (laughs) postcard. That just means send more postcards. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. It works. And you know what? I have gotten more postcards, but hers are so nicely done and, like, professional that it just stood out and it made me pick it again. So, you know, before we we started this, I I looked at Jason and what did I say? I'm not even going to say what I said. I think I, sh- yeah. I showed you. Yeah, you said, "Have we done this before?" I said, "I don't know, but let's do it." Yeah, maybe I should read the postcard before we get on air, and I would know because she <laughs> said the that spontaneity it gave- out of it. Yeah, Heather Fusari, two shouts out. Bam, bam, and a lot of exclamation points. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and keep that one. I'm keeping them for the new the two, year. Yeah, the new year. Yeah, we got a nice. Got to get a nice box. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put a stamp on it. Oh. Received something. <laughs> oh, okay. Back not like a postage stamp. I guess she already did that. All right. Well, you've heard the voice already, oh. but uh, let's let's get into our guest this week. Oh. He has a career that very few actors achieve, with film and TV credits dating back to 1979. Woo-hoo. His is a face that most audiences are familiar with. Because not only has he been in a gazillion projects, but he's memorable. Whether you recognize him from the latest season of Ozarks on Netflix, or from blockbusters like The Magnificent Seven or Texas Chainsaw 3D, you're welcome, or Django Unchained, it doesn't matter because after our chat today, I know you will always remember this unique personality that is Richie Montgomery. Hey, 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 ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> How's everybody out there in podcast land? <laughs> Welcome. I think, I don't think I'm going to have to talk much today. I think uh, <laughs> Richie's going to take care of that. Oh, we're going to be talking about me? Yeah. All right, Richie. Yes, sir. Start from the beginning. Who are you? Where are you from? How did you get started in acting? What's the story of you? Holy moly. All right, here we go. Strap in, kids. 
Uh, name is Richie Marin Montgomery. I was born and raised in Fayette, Mississippi, a little small town between uh, Natchez and Vicksburg on Highway 61. Grew up in. Do you a, want to give us your address or what? Jeez. Yeah, baby. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and uh, grew up in a grocery store. My family owned a grocery store and, uh, you know, started sacking groceries when I was like five years old and worked my way up to uh, head sack boy. And, uh, you know, uh, had a great life in a small town, Mississippi. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Uh, is, that, is that grocery store still around? Uh, no, it's not. Long gone. Was it Community just, self-service. It was one store? One store. Then he branched out to a department store, then a package store, which had packaged liquor. This was your father? And my father, yeah. Okay. And uh, just a hell of a man. Lost him back in 2008. Miss him every day. And wow. he was, a, you know, just a hell of a fellow. And, uh, hell, we went to about 14 Super Bowls together. Really? Yeah. So that was our kind of thing. And my mom's still around. She's 90 and wow. just getting around. And she's a cat daddy, a cat mama, if you will. And uh, so... Fayette gave me, uh, you know, uh, my my backbone, if you will, and uh, you know. So did you did you start out uh, doing theater or anything in uh, Mississippi or? No, you know, it was just you know small town. I think the first thing I did, I was dressed as an elephant in kindergarten, <laughs> you know, one of those kind of things, and then I moved up to like uh, Johnny Dog Ears, where I was dog earing. Uh, you know, uh, book pages and let's see, there's a couple other things I was in that were just brilliant, you know, as a kid that got me on my way, so to speak. Not really. So you said Fayetteville? Fayette, Mississippi. Fayette. 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 So, so how long, so you grew up in Fayette. How long were you there and did you ever leave or? I was there, you know, most of my life and, uh, I left for, uh, military school first of all i went to arizona ranch school for boys i was dyslexic i couldn't read very well and i was going through uh, you know a lot of uh, reading disabilities for myself because i couldn't read so they diagnosed me as a uh, dyslexic and shipped me off to arizona ranch school for boys that was a military school no it was just oh. a regular you know school but Oh, boy. How it, old were you? What grade were you in? I was in the seventh grade, so I was like 12. Okay. And it's uh, where I started smoking pot, uh, <laughs> and, you know, dropping acid, and I was 12 years old. That sounds great for wow. that. Yeah, it was, it was uh, fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, at 12? At you were 12 doing years that? old. Yeah, my father and they thought it was going to be great for me, so I, I went out there and you know, got on the program there. And the first day I, you know, my father gave me like $200, went swimming, came back. My $200 was gone. I had a little, uh, uh, rug that I liked. It was gone. Had a fan. This was in Tucson, Arizona. So it was hot. My fan was stolen. So everything was stolen the very first day I was there. Oh my God. So I go, well, that's, this is going to be fun, you know? So I got into, uh, you know, I was reading and carrying on, you know, my escape was my father gave me a checking account. Now, I'm 12 years old, and I probably looked like I was six. You know, very small kid, Mississippi. Just, hey, how y'all doing? What's going on? First day they took all my stuff from me. Is that how you sounded? That just sounded just like that. How y'all doing? <laughs> so, you know, so uh, I kind of grew up that, that first day. and So my father gave me a checking account. So I'm 12, and I, I go to this uh, Circle K, 
And this guy that works there has a motorcycle. So I said, hey, man, I'll give you like 10 bucks and let me ride that motorcycle around. And he said, sure. So I would cut these checks for him for like 10 bucks every week, you know, and I'd go riding off these motorcycles. So my pops came out there, man. He said, let's go by the Circle K. I'm so glad they cash your checks over there for food. And I go, oh, man, I'm going to be busted. This is going to be terrible. <laughs> so my dad goes, and we show up at Circle K, and he goes in. And I'm like, oh, man, I'll never get to ride the motorcycle again. This is going to be terrible. So he goes in. I hear him chatting. I'm like, yeah, right. He comes out, and I say, well, what did he say? <laughs> he said, well, you're one of his best customers, and he always, you know, you buy a lot of food and stuff. So I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so a few weeks later, I went downtown, and I was at uh, uh, Walgreens, and uh, – it had a little counter, and I bought a you know a grilled cheese with some French fries. So I popped up my check and was gonna give him a check for like two dollars and fifty cents. They said we don't cash checks here. You got any ID? I said well I really don't. I don't have any ID. I'm too young. Or, you know, I got a check. <laughs> so they said well, I said well, how do I cash this check for two dollars and fifty cents? They said well go next door to the Wilsons over next door. So I went across to the department store and I said is Mr. Wilson in? I like to cash a check. Give <laughs> me a twelve. So I said, yeah, sure, come on, right, go on upstairs, you know. So I go in and go up the elevator, and it opens up, and it looks like something out of the front page. There's secretary, 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 and a big old desk, you know, and there he is behind the door, you know, and I open the door. And, and can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'd like to cash a check. They won't cash my checks across the street for $2.50. He said, really? <laughs> Let me see your checkbook. So he, I give him the checkbook, and he looks at it, and he says, just a moment, Gets on the back. He says, hey, Fred, I got this kid in here. He says he wants to check, cash a check for $2.50. So he got any money in the bank? Is that right? He, he does? Well, isn't that something? Okay, see you in church on Sunday. Mr. Montgomery, how much money would you like to uh, cash a check for? $2.50. He said, make it five. I'll give you five. And I said, sure, so I'll cash a check. And he said, look, every time you come downtown, just come over and see me and cash these checks. I went, thank you, Mr. Wilson, I will. So I'd hitchhike down there, and I'd go cash these checks, and me and him became good friends. It wasn't until years and years later that I asked my dad, I said, you know, thanks for giving me that little money. And he said, you know how much money I had in the bank? I said, don't have a clue how much was it. So well, I was giving you $200 a month, but I, was ha I had $100,000 in your checking account I was trying to hide from the man, you know? <laughs> so, so can you imagine this guy going, do you got any money? Yeah, he got $100,000. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, me and him became friends, and years later I did a movie uh, in uh, Tucson uh, south of heaven, west of hell. And I tried to go find the man. I couldn't. I found his grandson. And I said, man, your grandfather would cash checks. And I just thought he was a beautiful human being. He said, oh, my God. He, are you that guy? He talked about you for his whole life. You're the best thing ever happened to him. He loved your ass. So wow. That, so that was my story in Arizona Ranch School for Boys. So then, uh, so where does that school take that, you? That takes me back to, Natchez, uh, to Fayette, Mississippi, where I went to... Uh, school in the eighth grade i guess and the ninth grade and then i went to swanee military academy in swanee tennessee uh in uh my 10th 11th and 12th so it was a military school so i went up there and it was still for reading for dyslexia i went there for a summer school i liked the teachers and i went i said yeah i'll go to military school i don't care so i went back up there and was just lost soul you know hell it was i just tried to do the best i could uh, I, I found that this 
art teacher, Doctor. I mean, uh, Colonel uh, uh, Colonel Moore. Mm-hmm. We call him Kern Moore. He took a liking to him, and he said, "Hey, man, I think you're funny and you're creative, and we're gonna find out what suits you." So I said, "Cool." So I took some art classes, and I couldn't paint, and I couldn't sculpture, and just had a, a rough time with it. And uh, he said, "Man, you love—I love your stories, and you're talking all the time, and you know you're pretty funny. Let's do some skits." So I said, "All right." So I get everybody together, and we we're gonna do a night of skits at Swanee Military Academy. So uh, they said, well, who are you going to be? And I said, well, I'm going to open the show by playing our uh, bus driver, Shorty. Shorty was an alcoholic, and he drove the bus in Swanee Military Academy <laughs> to all our functions, and he was drunk all the time. Okay. And old Shorty talked like this, you know. That's close well, to your voice. <laughs> that's real close to my voice. He said, well, I'm just going to back up your hip jumping. And uh, so he would get a whole liquored up, and uh, just a brilliant cat. And there was another man there. His name was uh, Mr. Nunley, Joe Nunley. He was the local custodian. So I said, you know, I just like this man. Everybody treated him like hell, you know, locked him in his closet and just talked bad to him. It just treated him like hell because he was a custodian, you know, a janitor, if you will. And uh, I took a liking to him and liked him all right off. And, you know, I'd ride his, you know, his mops and stuff and just just a stupid idiot that I was. But I liked him. And I think his family were like Covites, which means some of his families lived in caves in Tennessee. And uh, so I went to him and I said, Mr. Nunley, we're going to do some skits on Saturday. Will you please come? I'm going to portray you. And they go, well, no, I ain't coming. I don't get out on Saturdays, and I don't believe anybody. You're going to make fun of me, ain't you? I said, no, sir, I promise you I'm not going to make fun of you. Everybody does, and I just don't like it. Oh, And I said, I promise, please come. I promise you, I just, I like you. I'm crazy about you. I'd never do anything to harm you. And uh, so I was leaving, and he said, well, will you do me a favor? And I said, yes, sir, I'd be happy. What is it? He goes, Will you wear my boots? And I said, I'll be happy. So he gave me his boots. I had his overalls on. So I started the show, and it was about uh, uh, 10 skits. I opened the show, and I did a whole thing about, you know, oh, shorty, man, you know, and all that stuff. And then they did their skits, and it was probably 300 people, and all the faculty and everybody was at school. And uh, I warmed them up a little bit with old shorty. And then I came out as Mr. Nunley. Had his boots on, had his overalls on, and uh, I started. And all I had was one of those long mops you have in school and a little scraper that he had. And I went back and forth on the proscenium march for about 45 minutes, and I had them. They were screaming, they were howling, and I would just, you know, just every little thing, I just had them. And it was one of the most glorious moments I've ever had in my life. And at the very last of it, I went down the stick of the mop and, you know, scraped around a little bit and walked back up on it and go, well, I guess that about wipes it up. (laughs) And the crowd went nuts, went completely crazy. So that's the only time you talked? Yeah, oh yeah, only time I talked as his character. And because he never talked. So, and I looked in the back of the room and who's there? Mr. Nunley waving like his big old grin Aww. on his face, you know, and I That's go, oh. So it was over, and everybody came up and said, I don't know what you're going to do, but this is your call, and you're the funniest son that we've ever seen out here. 
and it meant something to me. It changed my life at that very moment. So the next day I went to Mr. Nunley and I said, hey man, thank you so much for coming. It meant so much to me. Here are your boots, you know? And then, oh man, you were no funny. My jaws are hurting and I even teeting on myself. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> you know? And, and I knew right that moment my life had changed. It, it had so changed. That's man. when you got bit by the bug. That was the bit by the bug, man. And you know, years later, I mean, I tell that story about Mr. Nunley all the time because I still carry him around. I'm talking about him today. And uh, uh, one of my professors, white man in Swanee, I said, where is old Mr. Nunley? I'd love to talk to him. And he said, yeah, I know the story about you and him and all. And his son, Roger, we told him that story. And they just, you know, it was great. He passed away two weeks ago. You missed him. Oh. He was in church, and he just he just faded away. And I said, would you please tell his son, Roger, what that man meant to me in my whole life, you know? And uh, even to this day, you can hear me, man. Yeah. This cat meant something to me. So you never know where your inspirations come from and when they're going to hit you, when they're going to take over and set you on a life of, of what you do in life. And this is a man who people just didn't care for. And he had like uh, six family members. And the reason he wouldn't go out is because he was taking care of his family, yeah. cooking for him and stuff. And I told, you know, Roger, I mean, white man told Roger, his son, how much he meant to me. And he cried like a baby and said, you know, no one has ever spoke about his father like that. Oh, my God. You know? That's a, that's a great, great story. And it really, it really set me on a life of, hey, man, I'm going to make people laugh and I'm going to make people feel the way I feel. And, you know. You know, and the, and the odds are is that he never had someone to inspire him that way. No, like, no. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you, you, I don't know, you just connected with him in yeah. some way. And, that's, and, I that's just, and I never got to tell him and just hug his neck and say, man, you've made a difference in my life. Well, and, and, and Kern Moore, who put me on, the, you know, on this journey, too, he was a beautiful human being. And he's, I went to see him one time in, in Swanee before all this, after I'd graduated. He said, man, you're going to take a walk. And I said, all right. So this man was in his 80s at the time, you know. And we walked down the mountain for hours. And I said, man, where are we going? He said, don't worry about that. And all of a sudden, we sat on this old log, you know. And he said, just sit here for a minute. We sat around. He said, do you hear that? And I said, Kern, I, I want to hear whatever you hear, but I don't hear anything. He said, just listen. And I just listened and nothing was coming. He said, let's take a walk. We went down and we came around this huge tree. And there was this beautiful waterfall cascading over the mountain. And we walked right behind it and just sat there for like an hour. And he said, I've always, this is the last time I'm coming. And I wanted to bring you down here to show you how magnificent this is. This is where I, this is where I love. And I wanted to share it with you. I'm like, oh, man, this is the most beautiful thing, you know. And it was just, and he took me back up, and that was the last time I saw him and the last time he went down there. Oh, my gosh. You know, so Swanee Military Academy, Swanee, Tennessee, set me on a beautiful path, and I still carry it around with me wherever I go. So then how did you, uh, so after this, you know, getting bit by the bug, how did you set out to, uh, you know, accomplish being an actor or was that your goal in the beginning or 
Were you going to do I, anything different? You know, I knew I wanted to entertain. I had something. I, you know, my mechanism being small and bullied was always to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, throw that to them and, you know, get away from fixing to get your ass whipped, you know. And it always worked out for me. So that was in the back of my mind. I always felt that energy from uh, uh, Swanee Military Academy. Those vibes were heavy. And they were they were on me, but my father wanted me to be a, a you know accounting. So I went to Ole Miss and took accounting for a couple of years. I just couldn't do it, you know. So then I said, well, hey, I'm gonna drop out for a little bit. So I went to uh, California, got me a job at the Holiday Inn Torrance, and I worked the lights. I worked the front desk in the day and worked the, the lights at night. What's the lights? The lights would be for the big show, Horace Height Jr. Uh, the box tops, you know, ah. it was just crazy. And uh, Frank Sinatra Jr., that was a big hit one day. He comes in. We play know, at the Holiday Inn. At the Holiday Inn in Torrance, California. Nice. So I'd get up there, you know, and I'd run the spotlight, and there's, you know, Frank Sinatra Jr. He said, okay, Richie, here's what we're going to do. At the end of the show, I'm going to reach up, and like I'm pulling the light, a little light switch down, and I'm going to pull it and blow out like a candle. And then you hit the spot. So we rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed. So then it's the big night, and there's old Frank Sinatra. Then I got my, my spotlight on me, you know, and he does his thing. And he reaches up and pulls the chain. But he forgot to blow out the candle. Oh, my God. So I'm waiting for the candle. And he's over there jerking that chain like this. <laughs> like, come on, you son of a bitch, turn it off. And I lean out and go... Pooch out your lips and blow the candle out. Is <laughs> he really? Hell yeah. So he gave me 50 bucks and we were buddies for every since. Nice. So then after, uh, I, I knew I needed to get a, uh, a degree. So I went to Ole Miss and uh, studied acting for a little while and did some plays. And then I dropped out again and figured out, you know, I better get once I dropped out, I came back and said, look, I need a degree. So they didn't have one at Ole Miss, unbeknownst to me. They did, but they didn't know. So I went to uh, University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg and got a Bachelor of Fine Art. And that's where I started performing on stage and, you know, uh, honing my craft, if you would. And Because uh, I'd flunked out of Ole Miss, and I couldn't get into school. And I knew a professor in, uh, at Southern, Dr. Fike, and I said, Dr. Fike, if you don't get me in the college, I'm not going to graduate. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to New York. I'm going somewhere. Help me, please. I want to graduate. So he did, and, you know, I had a three-point-something average, and I graduated and did a lot of plays and made him very proud. And I just wanted to see if I could become an actor. If I could make the, feel, the audience feel the way I felt, I thought I could have a shot at it, mm -hmm. and I did. I, I, the audience was receptive to all my stuff, and they were laughing at my stuff, my characters. And what kind of shows did you do in college? Uh, you know, like Any, Scapino and you know, Taming of the Shrew, and you know, smaller characters. And then I did a lot of student stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that uh, really with the meat of the matter. And you were only supposed to do like one major show and a couple, you know, student things. But I did them all. Because I need to know, you know, if I can't make it here, I'm never going to be worth a damn out there in the big real world. Yeah. So it worked out for me. And uh, my buddy, Elvin Whiteside from uh, Tupelo, God rest his soul, he went to New York. And I said, well, I'm coming up here to see you. So I went up there, you know, and we hung out for six months or something. Just had a ball, you know. 
started auditioning, you know, and it was just nuts, man. What, what, what year was that? This is 1977. 1977. In so New you York. were in New York for seven years? No, in, seven, in 1977. 1977. Uh, started. And let's see what was crazy up there. So, you know, yeah, we, we get the uh, backstage and we go on all these auditions, you know, and he said, oh, yeah, this looks good. So we went on this audition, man, and it was like a seedy part of town. I go, man, I don't know about this. I'm not sure, man, what the hell's going on here. So he said, uh, so they called my name, Richard Montgomery. So I go, yeah, and it's all pitch black in there. We get on the stage, you know, and the lights come up. And there's this round bed in the middle of the stage. And I go, well, now this is going to be interesting. A round bed on stage. So I sit on the corner, you know, and I go, holy moly, what is it? And I hear this, all right, take all your clothes off. Shut up. I go, excuse me? Take all your clothes off. Oh, there's nudity in the play. And I said, I don't think so. And he said, uh, yeah, it's nudity. You're going to be nude on stage. You might as well get nude now. Let's, uh, let's have it. Let's go. So I'm like, yeah, I think. He said, let me help you. So he comes up, the man shows up, he is completely nude except for his chaps. Shut up. So the old dangling participle is down there flopping around. <laughs> his ass is hanging out, and I go, thank you very much. I just don't think this is for me. This was advertising backstage? This was advertising oh backstage. My God. So, so I go out, and my buddy Elvin Whiteside said, all right, Elvin, you're next. He said, well, how'd you do? I said, oh, I killed it. I killed it. <laughs> so he goes in, and he's gone for like, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I'm waiting on him. I'm going, oh, man. So he comes bouncing on. I said, well, how'd you do? He said, I think I got the part. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? So we went out and had a few drinks, and I go, what'd you do? He said, man, I went in. That guy was so weird. I went out and smoked a cigarette, and I just wanted to make, <laughs> make sure you were all right. So we didn't get the part. So that's what that's what my New York experience was like, you know. Oh my God! So then, okay, so you're you just stayed there about six months. I stayed there off and on for. I mean, I was there for six months. Then I said, I'm going to Los Angeles. Okay. I'm heading to L.A., baby. You needed some sunshine. I need some sunshine and some some water. And so stuff. that's what 1978. That's 1978 exactly. All right. So off I go, you know, and I leave and. Uh, you you wanted to go where real porn was made. Yes, indeed. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. At this New <laughs> York chaps stuff. Yeah, yeah. I said, drop the chaps, baby. Gotcha. Got cold in here too, anybody? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so you get there, 1978. All right. So I go back to to Mississippi. I pack up my little Porsche, 914. You had a pool. Well, I, I guess you did have a hundred grand in the bank. Oh yeah. I wish I'd known that. So uh, I bought the car for like fifteen hundred dollars and. It was wrecked, and I fixed it up, and it was real loud. Which one's the 914? That's the one with the, the, the flat motor. Back? Yeah, the motor in the back, in the middle. The poor man's Porsche? The poor man Porsche. Got you. So it's it's packed to the gills, and I'm I'm off and running. And I get over to Natchitoches, Louisiana. Oh, and, my alma mater. Yeah, and I'm passing a, a pupwood truck, and I throw a fan belt. So car's dead. I pull over, I'm flagging people down. Some guy comes up and says, hey, what's your problem? I said, well, you know, I think I threw a fan belt. I'm dead. You know, anybody can fix the car. So he said, oh, hell yeah, oh, oh, Mike, he can fix it, he can fix anything. I said, well, tow it to him. So we towed it to old Big Mike's. Now, Big Mike is probably about 600 pounds, and he's a big man. Oh, he's... So, so Big Mike He said, was living up to the name. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So he says, uh, can I help you? And I said, yes, sir. I got through a fan belt or something. 
can you fix it? He goes, oh, I can fix anything. Heck yeah, I'd be happy to fix it. So what's it going to cost? He said, oh, about $1,500. What? And I said, that's all the money I've got, man. Look, can you help me? And he said, I just get it. It won't cost you too much. Let me get my son working on it. So he calls and says, hey, Mike. So Mike comes in, and he's the tallest, skinniest dude you've ever seen. He said, if I can't fix it, my daddy can fix it. We'll get you on the road. Where are you going, by the way? I said, I'm going to Los Angeles to be a damn movie star. He said, hell yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yes, sir. You, you probably be pretty good. Uh, so they start working on the car, and Mike sits there. And he comes back. His daddy's working on the car. And he goes, hey, man, you ever heard about this they deep fry ice cream? I said, no, I never. He said, yeah, in them fancy restaurants, they deep fry that ice cream. I said, yeah. I just wonder if you knew anything about it. <laughs> and he said, hey, a few minutes later, be quiet. And he said, you know, there's a fellow over there who had the hiccups for like 30 years. Can you imagine having the hiccups for 30 years? <laughs> 30 years. Wife didn't matter to his wife or nothing. One day he just up and died. I said, ain't that something? I said, yeah, something. He said, you know, his wife, she died like two weeks later. You reckon she just didn't, you know, hear that hiccup all the time and she just died of loneliness? Aww. I said, I hope not. He said, yeah, that's a funny thing, ain't it? I said, I guess it is. And I said, look, you got any place to eat around here? And he said, oh, yeah, you go over to uh, Mike's. And I said, is everybody Mike over here? He said, yeah, pretty much. So I go to this little, you know, uh, dry, uh, uh, what is he called, uh, you know, service station slash meat counter. And I walk in there, and uh, I said, how you doing? He said, hey, yo, Mike and him working on your car, on that foreign car. I said, yeah, where you headed? California. You going to be a movie star? Yeah, hell yeah. I said, uh, well, what you serving today? He said, well, uh, the cheese is moving pretty good today. I said, your cheese? He said, yeah. I said, what kind do you have? He said, oh, we got both kinds. <laughs> I said, well, what are you? He said, well, we got the rat cheese and we got the other white cheese. I said, well, I guess I'll have a cheese sandwich. He said, all right. And he had alligator meat. Now, this was 1977, 78, 78. And I said, well, what about that alligator meat? I've never seen anybody sell alligator meat. He said, oh, yeah, it's real popular around here. I said, well, what do you do with it? Oh, well, you can put it in your crock pot, and it'll be waiting on you when you get home after work. I like it like that. You can deep fat fry it. Some people like it, but I think it's a little tough. I said, what else? He said, well, you know, you have your friends over on Sunday watch a football game, and then, you know, you, you barbecue it. Of course, I said, well, you know, well, Humpty, he said, uh, I said, well, Humpty, what does that alligator meat taste like? He said, oh, yeah, alligator meat tastes a whole lot like your owl. Oh, my God. I said, what? Your owl tastes a whole lot like your owl? I said, I'll take my cheese, got my car, took off. Off to California, I'm going. Well, around, uh, let's see, about uh, Tucson, Arizona, I'm saying, you know, I'm like ready for a cold beer. So I see this flashing sign. Girls, girls, girls. I said, well, let me pull in there. It's like, you know, 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll just go check that out. So I pull in there. There's one truck out front. I walk in. The place, my eyes adjust, it's packed. But it's not just a little, old, you know, dancing club for ladies. It's a uh, motorcycle gang bar. 
I can't say the name of it because I get in trouble. <laughs> so I get in there, and uh, I say, well, I'm here. I might as well just shoot a game of pool. So I put my name on the little chalkboard, Richie. And uh, and I'm just standing out here. He's Richie. Oh, yeah. He said, oh, you want to shoot for uh, a beer? Oh, yes, sir. Now, the guy's name was Tiny. Now, whenever anybody's name is Tiny, they are huge, as you well know. So the place was packed. <laughs> I never got a shot. He ran the table. He said, all right, uh, take my beer. And I said, all right, what do you want? He said, I want beer for all my friends. Oh, geez. And I go, oh, oh man. So I said, well, how much is that? He said, about $1,500. So everybody's saying $1,500. That's all I got in my pocket now. I got like you know, $1,200. So I said, look, let me tell you something, sir. A 10-pound pound sack of flour makes a mighty big biscuit. He said, what would you say? Grabs me, pulls me up, throws me on the pool table, and said, uh, Mr. Sip, can you tell everybody what you told me? Uh, yes, sir. A 10-pound sack of flour makes a mighty big biscuit. <laughs> and he fell out laughing. So everybody starts laughing. I stayed there three days with the, hit, with the, with the gang of uh, motorcycle guys. So finally they cut me loose, and I went back to Los Angeles. I went, made my way to Los Angeles. Three days later, hung over, didn't know where I was, what I'd done, why I was there. Did you spend all your money? No. Okay. Still have plenty of money. Good. Uh, so then uh, I get to Los Angeles. I find me a little place to live, of course. And then uh, I'd have like, I guess I got about $1,400, $1,500 still left or something. And I go to the bank and they wouldn't take my money because I didn't have an ID. So I said, I'd hell with that. So I went to the Bank of America, and of course they took my money. And uh, then I just was in North Hollywood, and that's, I dug in. You dug in. So so you're living in L.A. And then how does uh, how does acting start there? Like what's, what's well, I've taken a class with Stella Adler. Taken you know uh, acting class with Stella Adler, and got in. I went over for the audition, and they said, uh, What do you want to do? I said, I need to study. You know, I'm out of college. So I did my audition. They goes, that was the worst audition we've ever seen. That's just terrible. And uh, Stella Adler came in and said, what are you, what are you gonna do? I mean, this is awful. And I said, well, I, I'm gonna act. So either you can teach me or show me the way, or I'm just gonna stay bad. So she just stepped out and I came back and she said, we think you're a good candidate to, you know, to study with us. So I did. And I met a guy named uh, Scott Manners who has manners and something, theatrical agent. He didn't at the time. But he said, hey, let's go up to the comedy store. I think you're funny. I said, well, you're kind of funny. So we went to the comedy store, and we did a thing, uh, uh, and the improv, you know. Did you, did you do stand-up so at the I, comedy So store? I got up, you know, and started doing uh, the potluck players, which was every Monday or Tuesday, and started getting up and started working. And, you know, people were coming to see me, and I like it got bigger and better. And, you know, Mitzi Shore, the big thing was if she ever had you come over and sit at a table. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like you were being touched. And at that time, it was, uh, you know, uh, 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 Robin Williams was performing. I mean, wow. it, you know, David Letterman would come And through. you were around. And I was around those You were around right? all that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I did the thing, and one night they called for me in the back and said, Mitzi Shore wants to talk to you. So I go over, and I don't know. I didn't know this was a big deal. So, hey, how you doing, Missy? What's up? She goes, uh, I've been watching you. You're funny. Uh, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd just like to get my name out on the building. You know, I'm going to be funny. I didn't know. 
like you wanted to write yeah, it like they do. She yeah. Want, yeah, do you want to, you know, she said, well, I'm, you know, I got my eye on you. I think you're funny and you're original and, and you're clean, you know. And I said, well, cool. So then I, I left like a two two or three days later to do a movie back in Mississippi and called Freedom Row. How did you get that? Uh, someone called and said they're doing a movie, and I made a phone call and said, well, we'll hire you as a production assistant. This was like in... Uh, Seventy something. I can't remember when it was. Okay. Seventy eight. Seventy eight. I think. So this is before you're starting to act. In yeah, movies. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So I went back to Natchez, and you know, started as a production assistant on the set of uh, Freedom Row with Muhammad Ali, and uh, Chris Christopherson, Alfred Woodard, and of course I wanted to get my SAG card, so I kept telling them, "Hey, man, I'm an actor. I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure." So finally they said, we got one little part here as a Union soldier come in and read for it. So I read for it and they said, you'll be fine. So they gave me the part and I got my SAG card, you know. And then nice. I, I said, so I got my SAG card and uh, became real good friends with Muhammad Ali. He, really? He took a liking to me. And as I was a production assistant, he said, well, we don't want anybody but Richard Montgomery come get me. So I go, oh boy. So I'd been working for like, you know, 14 hours a day. I was the first one there, the last one to leave because I was a production assistant. Yeah. Making like 100 bucks a week and they were killing me. So Mo, I call him Mo, Big Mo, Muhammad Ali. So Big Mo said, nobody can come get me but Richie Montgomery. So I said, oh, here we go. So I get a call from uh, Columbia Pictures, the head of Columbia at the time. And he says, who are you and what do you want with Muhammad? I said, hey, look, man, he wants me to be his personal, you know, driver, driver, yeah, assistant. And he said, well, I don't know who you are, or what the hell you want, and uh, I don't approve. And I said, well, he does, and I hung up on him. Oh God! <laughs> so I so I ran back to Muhammad. And I said, hey, Mo, I just hung up on the head of Columbia Pictures. I know this ain't cool. What am I gonna do? He said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So he went up and talked to somebody. So uh, he called me back and says, uh, so what do you want? You are now the assistant to Muhammad Ali. I said, I want to come in 30 minutes on the set before he does. I want to leave 30 minutes after he leaves. I want uh, 500 a week, and I want 500 per diem. I didn't even know what per diem was, but I heard him getting per 500 diem. per diem? Per diem, yeah. Jesus. A week. So I'm making 1000 a week, and he said, all right, whatever you want to do. So I told Mo, and he said, oh, that's fantastic. So then I, I finished out that, and I came back to Los Angeles and went back up to the comedy store, and people were doing the things that I were doing, doing my material. So I went out there to you know, pick up where I was left off, and it just wasn't happening. They said, hey, so-and-so said that. And so I had a big thing, and a guy told me I wasn't funny, and he was kind of running the show, and I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't me and you go out? You grab a mic, I'll grab the other mic, and we'll see who's funny. He said, uh, we don't do that around. I said, all right, well, I'll call you out. So I called him out, and he came out. And I just tore him a new, you know. And uh, I never went back. Hmm. And I always thought, you know, oh, oh between, before I did that, uh, Mitzi called and said, hey, I want you to come in and audition for me. I said, what do you want? He said, well, you got any material? And I said, oh, yeah, I got plenty of it, which I didn't. So I went back to Comedy Store, and it was Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, and it was just Mitzi Shore sitting there in her booth, the light man, Mike upstairs, and the piano player. And they said, all right, hit it. So I just started telling wild stories, and Mike, the guy up in the booth, was laughing his ass off. <laughs> and he was the only one that was helping. 
And when it was over, she said, look, I got something for ABC, and uh, I think you'd fit right in. And I said, fantastic. A couple of weeks later, I got another thing to go back to Mississippi, and I went again to well, Beulah Land, another, another movie. I went back home. Was that the started, ABC thing? No. Oh. So when I got back, I said, how's the ABC thing? I said, well, you're not in it. Forget about it. That's when I went on stage, and the guy said, oh, it wasn't funny, and ran him off the stage. And I just never went back to the comedy store hmm. after that. So then I was doing plays, and I ran into a great group of people. You know, there was uh, Beth Henley, who was, you know, Pulitzer Prize winner for uh, Crimes of the Heart. Mm -hmm. And I met those cats and got in with them and started doing equity waiver plays with them. And This is in L.A.? This is in Los Angeles, yeah. And that's how I kind of really started, and then started doing commercials, and then you start doing television, and then you start doing features. And how long were you in L.A.? I was in Los Angeles from 78 to 2010 is when I actually moved out completely. Oh. Yeah. Really? That's yeah. it? Yeah. That was so, what, 30 years. Well, I, I feel like you were around here longer than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was coming back and forth. Oh, oh you yeah, were? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2008, you, 2000. You told, I, you told me a long time ago, I, I'm sure you know the story, but you told me uh, kind of how things changed for you. Uh, like a a really famous director calling you. Oh yeah. Um, is that fair to say that that <laughs> yeah. that story is what changed like you from like struggling to just being a consistently working actor? Sort of, kinda. I mean, you know, I'm in Los and, Angeles. And if you want to tell that story, of course I do. You can you know? So I was you know starving to death in Los Angeles and doing commercials and you know this that and the other and. Yanis Kaminsky, who is a DP for Mr. Steven Spielberg, Yanis Kaminsky, does all his movies. Uh, a friend of mine, Joe Clark, calls me and says, hey, we got to move a bed from Yanis's house. And at the time, he was living or married to Holly uh, Hunter. So we went over and moved the bed, and, you know, we did that and got a 50 bucks or whatever. And a couple of days later, I'm in a movie called, uh, uh, oh, my God, Monster's Ball. And it's out, and it's getting some heat. And the phone rings, and I pick it up and go, hello. And he goes, uh, is this Richie Montgomery? I said, yes, it is. Who's this? This is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, right. Go to hell. Who is this? I said, it's Steven Spielberg. I just saw you in Monsters Ball. I'm sitting here with Yannis Kaminsky in my van, and I want you to be in my next movie. And I go, uh, yeah. He said, I get that all the time. And I go, uh, okay, fine. Yeah, great. Fantastic. I'm excited about it. He said, have your people call my people. You know, get in touch with <laughs> my people so i hang up the phone and i you know i go uh, uh who's his people i mean yeah i don't know who he, steven spielberg i don't have a clue who your people are please somebody help me didn't you not know who your people were i didn't know who my people were so i haven't signed sbd partners they were like you know yeah we'll put you in your hip pocket or whatever that means and i wanted to sign with them and i go i call them and say you know, I, go, well, I just got a call from Steven Spielberg. And he wants my people to call his people. Are you my people? What's he doing? And he goes, we don't have a clue of what he's doing. And I said, well, who's his people? He said, we don't know his people. I said, well, can you call his people? Anybody, somebody call. So the next day I was flying to uh, Sundance to represent a movie, uh, South of Heaven and West of Hell. So I got on the plane and I got out there on a Thursday and the phone rings and it's my agent. And he goes, look. They want to see you tomorrow, Friday, in his, uh, Deborah Zane's office, casting director's office. Yeah. And I go, hey, man, I, I'm representing a movie over here in Sundance. 
can you ask them for me if they would move that time to like Tuesday when I get back? And they go, have you lost your mind? This is Steven Spielberg. And I go, I know, but I, I spent a lot of money, and I'm over here, and I got this movie, and a lot of things going on, and I'm excited. And, and he's a movie maker, and he knows people are, you know, doing other things. Can you just ask for me? <laughs> and everybody around me said, you've lost your mind, Richie. You're crazy. You're, this is, you're nuts. And I said, well, just ask. If he says no, I'll be right back. So about two hours later, he said, you're not going to believe this. They said, yeah, come, we'll see you on Tuesday. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know. So then, you know, we do the movie. And it's he called you. Yeah, yeah. He called yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I, I get back at Deborah Zane's office, and I said, what's up? Is this for real? And he goes, oh, yeah, it's for real. They're crazy about you. We just don't know what role he's going to put you in. And I go, all right. So he said, well, let's just talk on, you know, on, on uh, camera. So I shot the breeze, you know, we had some fun and laughed about it. So I left and I said, are, is this all legit? I mean, she said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's legit. So they called and said, hey, man, you got this role of a young doctor, you know. And uh, I was just tickled to death, and my agent was tickled. And like two days later, I got another call from ER, and they said, hey, you booked a guest star on the ER, man. From this same so, thing? No, no, this oh. is from a different, but right at the same time. So I said, well, is it going to work out? I said, yeah, you go on the ER, and then you go back to do uh, Catch Me If You Can. Ah. And I'm going, oh, man, this is great. So I went and I started uh, ER. And it was a uh, like a, I don't know, a holiday or something, you know, Labor Day or something. And everybody had to come in because of my schedule. Now, these cats were making a million dollars an episode at this time, you know, and they didn't want to come in for my little old scene. You know, and I had... So I couldn't blame them. So they called me, and the minute I got on the set, uh, the director, Jonathan Kaplan, comes up and said, boy, I hope you're good. Everybody's pissed at you. Damn. And I said, for what? He said, for bringing them in a day early. And I go, oh, this is going to be a long day. So Mikai Pfeiffer, that was his first day on the set of the show. Okay. And I went in for, I got hit in the head with a baseball. But I was in the ER, and the clowns down there in the in the show changed the uh, 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 what is it called uh, the clipboards. They changed the clipboards on me. So he comes in and said, "All right, drop your pants." Oh, what? <laughs> he said, "Drop your pants." So I go, "All right." So I drop my oh, pants. Oh, so you're thinking you have a brain injury? Yeah, I got something going on. I can't hear because I've, I've been hitting the head with a ball, huh? Drop your pants. Well, it all looks good. You don't have a penile fracture or anything. I go, I go hey, what the hell's going on in here, man? I just got hit in the head with a ball. And he said, well, it says you got a penile fracture here on the chart. And then they look over, and they're all laughing their asses out. <laughs> you know. So I threw in there. Well, I better not say it. So I threw a couple of little jokes in there, too, you know, and they, like, fell out. So... I had to, that day was over, and I went out and said, well, how did I do? And he said, oh, you're fantastic. You're good, you know, thanks. So I said, I got to go back to do Spielberg's movie, and I'll be back. And he goes, Spielberg's movie, what? So I left, 
did another day or two on Spielberg. Just catch me if you can. And I came back. And I told. Was that here? No, like, that, no, that was in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Yeah. So I told Spielberg, Mr. Spielberg. I was calling him Mr. Spielberg. He said, call me Steven. So I said, Steven, look, I'm having a little trouble over there at uh, ER. They give me a hard time about that. He had to come in an extra day and all that kind of stuff. And they, uh, just not very happy over there. You know, I'm doing the best I can. He said, tell those guys to uh, stitch them up and send them out the front door. So I go, well, all right, some kind of code. So I get on the set, you know, and I'm walking around, and I say pretty loudly, well, Steven Spielberg says to tell you guys to stitch them up and send them out the front door. You thought, ha, 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 ha. I stepped in, you know. It was unbelievable. So everybody comes over, oh, man, you are a Spielberg movie? Yeah, oh, yeah. So then everybody thought I was the coolest thing on, you know, on set. So I finished that and went back with Spielberg, and, you know, by that time, you know, uh, Monster Ball was out and, you know, things were changing. Was uh, Monster's Ball what you were before, at Sundance for? Uh, no, it, I don't know. It was uh, something else. I think it was uh, Dwight Yoakam's, uh, what was it, uh, South of Heaven, West of Hell. Or it might have been. I can't remember. I've been so many damn times. So, uh, so many credits. So many credits. Oh, boy. So, you know... Uh, so, it was exciting. So that kind of changed well, your your path a little bit, like with just the a films? little, not not much. You would think it would, you know. But once you got Steven Spielberg on your resume, I mean, things do change and people look at you different. Yeah, and, you know, Monster Ball was out, and Mark Forster was, you know, a big deal. And you know, I did some improv on that show, and you know, kind of changed the way the movie was, and you know, just. I knew I was in the right and doing what I should be doing at and, that time. And so then you you stick around L.A. for a while, and then what what brings you back to to uh, the South? I just got tired of being broke. Yeah. I got tired of you know just not being happy out there. It was too many people. Mm -hmm. I'd been there for a long time. I just wanted to break, come home to Mississippi. Louisiana was picking up. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, maybe I can get some shots down there. Claudia was here. Claudia yeah. was crazy. Claudia comes up on this show all the time. Yeah, Claudia Spiker, God rest her soul. And uh, if we if we bring her back up, I'd love to talk about her because uh, she just how'd you how'd you end up with her? Were you always with her here? Here, yeah. Somebody told me about like her. Like from the get-go? Yeah, and I called her up and said, hey, my name's Richard Montgomery. I'm an actor, and I live in Los Angeles, but I'm also from Mississippi, and, uh, you know, I'd like for you to represent. I was down here for a jazz festival, and uh, at the time, she said, well, okay, all right. And I dropped, you know, 25 headshots off to her, and... Uh, I was at jazz festival, and, you know, I get a call, call her, and I called her, and she said, look, I got a little thing called uh, Old Man for CBS Hallmark Hall of Fame. I think you'd be right for it. Come and read tomorrow. So I studied, went in, boom, read it, and booked it. Tracy Kilpatrick uh, was the casting director. That, okay. was, that was my first intro into it, and for Claudia. So that started, and then I was going back and forth from Los Angeles, New York, here, wherever I could go to try to chase that dream, you know. Were you and, were you nervous to eventually, like, just say, I'm going to stay in the South? Did you think it would, it would, you would work? Uh, I, at, at that time in 2010, at 2000 when I was coming back, 2000 I was back and forth all the time, mm -hmm. you know, living in Natchez. And my father was getting older, and I, I missed him. And I said, I don't think I'm going to have that many more days with him or years sure. with him. And my mom was getting older. And I loved him. And I'd been away from most of my life because they had set me on this journey. And 
you know, I was on it. Right. And Louisiana was picking up, so I said, I'll just go to Natchez. So I went to Natchez, and I started hanging out. And after I got the, uh, uh, this was a long time ago, the uh, old man. But uh, Claudia, when she passed away, she also, uh, I had like maybe uh, 100 credits. And of those 100 credits, 80 of them came across Claudia's desk. Wow. And I'm telling you, the woman is just, was a hero to me. Yeah. And I thank the good Lord up above and everyone around me. I called her just to say Happy New Year. And I called her and I said, you know, she said, she was real short on the phone. I said, Claudia's rich. And she goes, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, Claudia, you all right? And she goes, I don't feel good. I, 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 don't want, I can't talk. And I go, she said, what do, you, what do you want? And I said, Claudia, I just want to tell you that I love you. Oh. And she said, I love you too. And two days later, she was gone. Oh, my gosh. So I, thank God I got to have that moment with her. Yeah. And I carry around with her wherever I go, and I, I, I talk about her, and I'm sure everybody else does. And, yeah. you know, she was a very special human being in my world. Well, that's, you know, a, made I mean, my life. that's a true testament, um, not only to her, but to... Like that amount of work that you've done here, here, you know, while you were living, yeah, there, back and forth, um, back and forth. I mean, it's just like, just you know, actor who is sitting in Los Angeles, rotting away, that has talent. Just know that there's there are other markets. You know, hey, like look, you, man. you can you can absolutely uh, you can make man. it anywhere. You can now. make just if you got the passion and you have that fire burning. It doesn't matter where you are. You will find your way, and you have some small amount of talent. They'll find you, man. Just keep doing what you're doing, and don't let that fire go out, and keep that passion. Yeah. I mean, if you're in it for the long haul, you know nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to take anything away from you, and you're going to build on that career, and you're going to make it happen. I still think, you know, I'm going to make it. <laughs> you know, I, you've made it. I mean, this, you, see, see, you work. I work all the time. Work, I, I working is making it, right? I mean, you, when you is. say make it, you mean like become famous and no, I, get the paycheck? That's what it would be real nice. That would, nice. That would yeah. be nice. But, but I, mean, I steady work and I make, my, I make a good living. Yeah, I mean, of course. You know, and I, I, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I mean. I love working. It's what keeps me off the streets uh it has saved my life it really has yeah i mean to celebrate joy and success is fantastic but when you start celebrating the misery and the the you know yeah. the bad stuff well have you that's ever when you get in trouble have you ever wanted to give up and and not do this anymore oh yeah you know, back in, uh, I can't remember, I said, I'm done. I left Los Angeles. I went to Natchez, and I started working uh, in my bar. Uh, and, you know, six months into it, no, this ain't going to happen. That fire is still burning. It's back there. Yeah. So you got to torch that fire up. That passion is there. I got to go. How often, how often do you make the trek from Natchez to New Orleans? All the time. I mean, it's a two and two forty-five, uh, three-hour drive, all the time. Whenever anybody wants me, I'm here. He's here now. You drove. Here you now. drove three hours yeah. to come do the podcast. Thank and you, I'll Richard. turn around and I'll go back tonight if I want to. Uh, got a place here, uh, a condo here that come available to me, so I have that now, which is great. That's nice. But uh, 
you know, when people disrespect this business and say, well, I can't be there at a certain time or don't show up, I'm driving three hours and I'm going to be on time. I've never been late. And I think maybe one time and I had the agent call because it was a wreck on the uh, spillway or something. Sure. If you want to be there, you're going to be there. I don't care who you are or what you do. Right. If you respect your other actors, respect them. Yeah. You know, get there on time. Do your stuff, man. Just have a good time to do it, you know? Throughout all of this, this long and glorious uh, career with all these credits, do you continue to to study or did you just do the Stella Adler and then just kind of get to work? Uh, I'm always studying, always talking, always reading. Dyslexia, I read an hour a day every day. And I try to do it early in the morning before I get out of bed or, you know, something to keep that mind working. Because if I get really tired, it's a long day on the set, I can just crumble. Mm -hmm. It's like a a brick wall in front of me. I can't remember any of my lines. I can't remember what I'm supposed to do. And it has, I've been called a couple of times doing it. And it's just because I'm exhausted. How do you, um, is there an extra um, layer to preparing for a role because of the dyslexia? Like, oh yeah. yeah. Prepare, 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 prepare. Yeah. Like, is it like you need like, like if you get an audition, do you need even more time? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I work it. I work it to the bonus, but now I've been doing it so long. I got, I I guess my brain has been tricked it. I can sometimes just see a full page and, and have it. Yeah. And then sometimes I, I can't, and it's just, you know, the timing's off and the beats are not there. And, you know, it's pure hell. But right. I, 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 I work at it. I work hard. Yeah. And uh, well, I could tell that. I want to be the best in the room every time I go in the room. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes I just suck, like, you know, or stink it up. But I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go when I come in this room. Yeah. If they call you, you and are. say, hey, look, they're ready for you on set right now. I'm going to go to work. Yeah. You know, you always, you always put forth, you know, a hundred plus percent into whatever you're doing, which is very, a very nice thing. Like, like as a casting director, I know that when you come in, we're going to get a good option. Right. For exactly. Whatever role. Exactly. As long as I've, uh, been accurate in my, uh, thought of, you know, bringing you in for this particular role, if you're right for it or not, like sometimes, Sometimes you're you will be the wild card for certain things, you know. To be like Richie's the wild card, but I, I want to see him anyway. Yeah, you know. I, I, and I appreciate that more than you know. I mean, I love that, and I know that going in. I say, well, this character—I'll never play this character, but I can sure show him something. Yeah. And I, a lot of times, I get that character because they never saw it that way. So you never know. I mean, I remember back in the day, it was a commercial for Kellogg's, uh, and it was—they uh, wanted DJs. So I go in the in Los Angeles and I go in and every famous DJ, Shadow Steve and all these cats were in the room. And I was the only one that wasn't a DJ. And I'm going, oh, this sucks. Why am I here? So I go in and I'm like, man, why am I here? And all those DJs they said, look, Chicago doesn't know you're not a DJ. Right. They, they, want, a, they want somebody in here who's got a little something. I brought you in to show them what it's all about. And lo and behold, I, I booked the spot, national spot, made a ton of dough on it. Right. And from that day on, I said, I'm never going to say they're right, they're wrong, whatever. A friend of mine, Troy Evans, and I would love to tell the story myself, but I can't. He goes and he 
a good actor. He's on ER, you know, and, and a hell of an actor. And uh, our friend uh, was a commercial uh, casting lady and said, well, look, I got something for you, uh, Troy. He said, look, I don't do commercials. I'm an actor. I don't do commercials. Please do it. Come, come into it. You got to be an umpire. You got to dress like one. You make a ton of dough. A little short on cash at the time, so Troy says, "All right." So he gets into his. Uh, no, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a vampire. Sorry, I messed the whole story up. It's a vampire, but you have to dress like a vampire. So he says, "All right." So he gets in the, you know, the wig and the thing and uh, the cape, and he goes and he sits down, and uh, it's a room full of umpires. <laughs> He's the only vampire in the room. So he goes in is for a hot dog. He goes, it's the ride. <laughs> Have a hot dog, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine? He got it wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. He, she Clearly. got it wrong. Something. Oh yeah. So you know, but if you're there, just rock and roll. Uh, he didn't get the part. No hell right. no. Okay. But Troy's funny as can be, but you know, I for everybody here in New Orleans and this region or anywhere, when I come in, I, I like to be prepared. And uh, I like the opportunity. Uh, I get excited every time I, I get a call to, to do something. And there are roles I see, and I go, I'm not right for this. I, ain't no way in hell I'm going to get this role. Right. And I come in, and I do whatever I do. And, you know, then you get the role. <clears throat> I got a role where I was uh, the whole truth, and they wanted to, me to play a judge. And I go, man, I can't do a judge. This is crazy. I, I'm not a judge. So I came and I did the judge and, you know, they called and said, I think you're one of the judges. I said, no, I, I don't want to do it. I can't be a judge. I don't think I can make anybody believe I'm a judge, so I pass. Really? Yeah. This is me you, being an idiot, a total idiot. If I don't think you believe who I am on, on the, uh, uh, in my performance, I don't want to do it. I'm an idiot. So they called and said, well, too late, you're the judge. <laughs> so I go, oh, hell. So I go to Baton Rouge and I go to the court for like four days straight. And these are all murderers and, you know. Oh, you went to do some research? I went to research and just watched these uh, judges for three days. So I get on the set and I start doing my thing. And uh, Courtney Hunt's the director and she says, oh, glad to have you. And her husband is a attorney in New York City. So lunchtime he comes on and says, hey, man, great work up there. Uh, so you retired? And I said, from what? And he goes, you're, you're a judge, right? You retired? And I go, who put you after this? He says, no, I'm an attorney in New York, and you're killing this thing up there, man. Awesome. Like a judge. So I said, well, thank you very much if anybody put you up to it. I owe you money or something. But you never know, you know? Yeah. People see something in you that you don't see or recognize yourself, and they believe in you. And you have to say, okay, somebody believes in me. I'll tell the story of... Uh, the Magnificent Seven, you know, I get the job, I thought, you know, it's for like three weeks, could be three more, uh, Liz, right mm. next door. Yeah. And uh, so I keep calling, you know, no wardrobe is calling me, nobody, so I'm passing through like Baton Rouge and I pull in the production of it and say, hey, I'm Richie Montgomery, I'm, I'm playing a character in this movie and I think I'm supposed to start tomorrow. Uh, no wardrobe. Does anybody want to see me today or what? So, you know, I sat there a couple hours and finally said, yeah, they want to see you. So I get there and I ask for the script and finally they give me a script and I 
get the script and I look over. My character's name is Gavin David. There's not one mention of Gavin David in this script. So, of course, the next day I go to set and I'm like looking around. I go, boy, this is going to be a short day for me. I'm getting fired. I'm going to be an extra or something. This is nuts. <laughs> There's no Gavin David here. So I'm like over there, Mr. Pitiful. And uh, so... Uh, I don't know what to do, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, director comes in. And he says, "Hey, Richie, uh, I want you to stand up here. Look, I want you to sit on the front. You're Gavin David, and uh, just start mixing it up." So I said, "Okay, Mr. Fuqua, whatever you want to do, you know." <laughs> so uh, I get into it and start throwing stuff out there, and it starts working and working. And after lunch, he comes up to me and says, "Hey, look, I had a little problem with the studio. They didn't want this character, not you." another townie in the movie but i want you this is my movie we're gonna make a great movie and you are in my movie so have at it and me like it is well, this is a hundred million dollar picture are you sure you want me to do my thing <laughs> and he goes that's why i hired you do your thing so man it was one of the so you improvised i improvised the damn movie yeah and and trust me Every time that camera was around, I threw something out. And one time I was not mic'd, and I hear this, mic that MF. You know he's going to say something. <laughs> so, you know, I was always mic'd, and, you know. And you and I will say that you landed another movie because of that movie that I cast, um, Blaze. Blaze. Yeah, because yeah, so Ethan Hawke was yeah. in it and was like, I want... <clears throat> I want Richie Montgomery in my movie. Look, I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest people, and I'm just throwing it out there because this is the podcast we're doing, and people want to know stuff. Yeah, of course. And this is what it's all about. You get on the set, and you start improv, and you got Chris Pratt, and you got you know Ethan Hawke they coming by, and Denzel Washington walks by and says, your line's back to you. You know you're doing something yeah. right. And I, you know, I've done four movies with Denzel, and he gives me hell on each one. You know, and if you don't get hell from Denzel Washington, you're not in the movie, man. He got, you know, and he rides my ass. But I love it because, you know, you're in the movie with him and he wants you to do great. Yeah. I did The Great Debaters and we were like 14 hours into it. And I threw something out there that I thought was funny and everybody laughed. And Denzel comes around, how dare you disrespect my other actors? How dare you? Oh, wow. In front of everybody and just, oh, man. Everybody just scooted from around me. And so I sat there, you know, and I said, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. So I went back and I said, look, Denzel, we got to talk, man. This is the very first day. We were 14 hours into it. I thought a little laughter would ease up everything. He said, I know, Richie. I know what you're doing. This is my set, and I don't want you to, you know, think that this is your set. And I said, well, I apologize. Do I still have a job? He said, oh, yeah, get your ass back out there. You know, I was terrified. But I wanted to make sure if I was going to get fired or something, did I express myself that that's not who I'm about. Yeah. I, this is what I do for a living. And he was so kind, you know. And I worked with him. And hell, he knows my name. And he just, I'm crazy about him, you know. And that's it, awesome. It works, you know. And, and I had a problem. He had a problem with me on MAG. It was one of those days I'd been working a long time and my dyslexia was rearing its ugly head and I was having trouble trying to listen to him and, and throw my one or two lines in. He was moving things around and I was trying to catch it. And I was just, I was dying. I was hitting the wrong beats. I just couldn't get it. And finally, I just, you know, he screamed at me about something about my lines. <laughs> I go, hey, man. He took a break. I said, Denzel, look, you're going to have to help me, man. 
I can't get in here on my line. I, I'm dying out here. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Let's rehearse a little bit. So he did. He said, look, just come in right here. I said, I got it. So then we started nailing it. Good. You know, but you got to just, you know, don't be scared of people. You got to say, hey, Yeah, look, I mean, we're all working together. We're all working so. together to figure yeah. all this out, man. And it's a beautiful thing when you get to do it. Then you get this call, and it's Ethan Hawke, and he says, I'm doing this movie called Blaze, and I want you in. And I go, I'm in, dude. And he goes, well, don't you want to know anything? Hell no. Ethan, <laughs> you're calling me on my cell phone. I want in, baby. Whatever it is, I don't give a rat's ass. That's awesome. You know. All right, just a couple more questions. Um, is, is it what, what? We've only been here like five minutes, right? <laughs> what? How, how long have we been, Jace? Uh, hour and seven. Oh, that's oh, a, that's man. a long episode. Okay, uh, how do you? So our show is called Talking Like Normal People because ultimately we just want actors to talk like a normal person, right? How do you talk like a normal person as an actor? Well, first, of how do all, you keep it real and grounded? First of all, we're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> That's, that's what, true. That's the okay. one thing us actors have and directors and everybody else. We got a, a different take on, on the world. How do I make it real? Uh, I just... Normal. Just normal. normal. Are you talking about a performance? Yeah, just you, like you on camera. How do you keep it? Because you, you, you play characters, right? How do you keep them real and not get, become a caricature? Well, I, I do as much research as I can. You know, I was doing uh, the uh, the Princess and the Frog. They had me in, and they wanted they wanted me to uh, play the mosquito or whatever. And I went in, and first of all, first of all, they said, uh, "What happened?" I just need to get my keys to. Uh, we got a little thing here. All right, so Princess and the Frog. They said they want someone who has Cajun blood running through them, who could sing. And who's from Louisiana? I said, I, none of that. I can't do any of that. I don't have any Cajun blood. So Claudia, being the smart person she is, she kept talking to him, talking to him. And finally she came back and said, well, they're looking for an actor. Will you go in now? Oh, sure. An actor? Sure, I'm an actor. So I go in and I do the thing. And I, on the on the board is the mosquito. And I went in and did the mosquito. And they said, well, we got another part. And it was, uh, you know, different characters. So I, I went in and... I took the, the character's picture off the bulletin board so nobody else could see the picture. So I went in and did the thing. And it, uh, they called and said, hey, they want you for the uh, Reggie the Cajun Frog Hunter. So I took off to Highway 90 and just started hitting all those bars and buying drinks to everybody. And by the time it was over, what you talking about? I was talking like I was from Cuba, though, don't you know? <laughs> so it worked for me. And when uh, True Detectives called... They wanted me to play the crab trap, man. I didn't even know how to open up a crab trap. So it's like the first day of the shoot, you know, and I'm down there in Sulphur, Louisiana, uh -huh. you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and another 45 minutes. So I paid a guy 100 bucks to sit on the back of his truck to show me how to even just pull up a crab trap and open it up and, and re, uh, you know, work it. And uh, so I put it all together. You know, what you talking about like that? And when it was over, I said, how was he? He said, what you talking about? We're going crawfishing in the morning. I'm crabbing in the morning. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty legit. So I believe that if you do enough research and do enough homework and you feel the character, I want people to feel the way I feel. So hopefully it sells, you know? Yeah. I believe who I am at that moment between action and cut. Other than that, I don't know so much. 
you know, I'm an idiot. But uh, I, I believe who I am, and I listen, and I feed off the other people, you know, just to, yeah. to make him as real as possible, grounded, to think. I mean, I travel a lot. I see these people. I'm sitting in a bar. I'm sitting in a restaurant. I'm clocking people. I'm seeing how they move, you know, how they dress, what they do, how loud they are, you know. People have told me, you know, hey, Richie, you know, in your close-up, you get a little hammy. And I said, I know, I get a little big when I get close-up. I don't, I don't like that close-up. But uh, I've learned to, to deal with that. Good, good answer. All right, so what's something that you want casting or producers to know about you that they probably don't know? This could be anything. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm there for you. I'm a, a, you know, I'm a play. I, I like to be a part of it. I love what I do. I work hard at it. Uh, you can trust me if I can trust you, you know. Uh, put me to work, man. I love to work. This you is love what, to work. This is what keeps me alive. This is what I live for. This is what drives me. This is what keeps my flame burning bright. This is what makes Richie Montgomery who he is to be able to work and to share characters and to and my god if you just get one or two movies out there where you have that magic moment where it's really just cooking and you feel it and you you're going eye to eye and toe to toe I don't care who it is whether it's Billy Bob Thornton or Bruce Willis or Denzel Washington if you got that one little moment where it's magical Baby, you have hit a grand slam in the damn you know, World Series, baby. Awesome. I mean, it's just golden. Yeah. And and boy, when those moments come up, I mean, you you get to, you know you be in a big scene, you know, and you're rocking and rolling, and for some reason, the back of your mind, you're going, boy, this is going great. This is the best fun I've ever had in my, life. and you're just rocking, you know. Yeah. And uh, those moments, they're golden. I search them out. It's like, uh, you know, it's a drug. It's the whiskey. It's the whatever. It's, it's my high, baby. It's awesome. my high. Well, I'm going to leave you on uh, a thought about m one of my favorite things that I've seen you in, that I had the pleasure of casting you in, uh, was season uh, two of, the, of uh, Tig's show. And oh, you played wow. her father. Yeah. Um, and you had this great uh, arc in the second season. Um, just like you really got to show, spread your wings and show like this character and get to do more. Like it's a great example of someone being cast locally for something, you know, for one or two episodes in the first season. And then them recognizing, you know, hey, this guy's like got like yeah. real gravitas and could do this and then bringing you back to do more on the second season and just like writing an episode for you basically. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and it was great to get you to see you be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so great job there. I greatly appreciate you bringing that up. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a, a, it's a really, I'm, I'm sad that it's not on anymore, but um, I'm glad that you got to be part of that that good uh, and, and I thank work. you for having me in and finding me for that role I mean you know what you're doing I know what I'm doing and you gotta find things for me and you gotta find the right person for the right job sure and you know and when it all gels man it's yeah. just a beautiful thing yeah you know 
So good job there. Thank and you so much. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show and start kicking off 2019. Yeah, baby. That's what um, I'm talking about. Thank you, Jason. Jason, cool daddy, Producer, cool. Sir, Engineer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and each and every one of you out there, keep doing what you're doing, man. If I can do it, I promise you, you can do it too, man. And if you have any questions, you can also ask me anything. I'll tell you the truth, baby. Yeah, follow him on Instagram at Richie Montgomery. Yes. Um, I am uh, the shows at Talk Like Normal, uh, at Glorioso Casting, at Jason Edwards TV, at Full Grown Mouse, and Justin TC underscore underscore. So follow us on uh, social media and um, give us some reviews and some likes. And Yeah, like me, Willie. I like being liked. We love you out there, whoever you are and wherever you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Peace. Bye. Peace. Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. Create a searchable profile accessible by multiple casting directors who are casting major film, television, and commercial projects. MyCastingFile.com.